you please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, I believe it can be found on page 979 in the Bibles and the chairbacks. We're in a new year, and we're back in Ephesians. We spent most of last year studying this book, and we took a break for the Advent season to look at the wonder and mystery of the Incarnation. And now we're back, back into Paul's very practical part of Ephesians and how we are to walk in the Christian life. The Christian life is described as a walk. And so this morning we will continue to make application there. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. This is God's holy, inerrant, authoritative word to us this morning. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Let's pray. Father, as we study your word, and as we try to understand it in the context through which the Apostle Paul was writing to the Ephesian church, give us understanding. Lord, as we seek to apply these truths to our heart, to our day and age, give us understanding. Help us to see your truth, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. This passage is before us today. I'll be honest with you, I've kind of been dreading it all week. There's a lot going on here, a lot that's before us today that's hard to in interpret, hard to apply, hard to understand. At first blush, you could read this and think that the Apostle Paul is seeming to accept the institution of slavery. And we know down in our gut, that seems wrong. Many have even used this passage and used this teaching from the Scriptures to defend the awful history of slave trade and slave ownerships. Modern skeptics have even looked at this passage and used this passage to say, see, the Bible's not truthful. The Bible is not accurate. The Bible is not worthy of me uh, accepting because, you see, it condones slavery. We can't trust the Bible if it does that. And to make matters even more complicated and make matters even worse at times, there are a few things more troubling going on in our day and age than race relations. It's at the very front of the news. It should be on many of our hearts and minds. We should be praying for our country in this matter. And so this passage today needs to be carefully understood and, and studied in the historical and biblical context so that we can apply it to us today. If this is your first time to ever read this passage in Ephesians or any passages like this in the Bible when it's talking about slavery or bond servants, 
you may immediately just cringe at the thought of slavery even being mentioned. And you may even be more troubled to see that the Apostle Paul doesn't seem to condemn the institution of slavery. He seems to kind of dismiss the troublesome ideas that may arise. And he even has the audacity to address these slaves or bond servants as normal folks. Why does he do that? Well, this is where we must seek to understand. We must, we must study what is going on here and learn about the background of the ancient world to which the Apostle Paul was writing to. We need to know exactly who these slaves or these bond servants were. Who were these people of the ancient world that Paul took the time to address in his letter to the Ephesians? And so as we embark on this study, we're going to find that there are things that we need to learn about the culture that Paul was writing to. And Lord willing, we'll find that there's rich application for us today. So let's dive right into this passage by looking at three things. What is a bondservant? Or a slave, as some of your translations may say. What are the duties of a bondservant? And what are the duties of those who are in authority over bondservants? The first is what is a bondservant, but before we get there, I want to remind you of this key verse in Ephesians that helps us understand this passage in its context. Paul wrote this as a letter. He didn't have chapter and verses in his letter. Those were later added so that we could reference. And so there's a context for this passage. And the context for this passage is found back in chapter 5, verse 21. In that verse, we see that our calling in the Christian life is to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So the Apostle Paul is taking the time to address the Ephesian Christians and different groups in the church in Ephesus on what biblical submission looks like in our different relationships. Christians are called to submit to one another. We've seen how, what biblical submission looks like in a marriage as wives submit to their husbands. We looked at, several months ago now, what biblical submission looks like in the home as children submit to their parents. Now we'll look at the relationship of biblical submission between bondservants and their masters. But we need to understand what a bondservant is. I'm reading, and we typically read from here at Cornerstone, the ESV, the English Standard Version. I would imagine a group this size, there would be many different Bible translations in front of you. And so some of your translations may use the word slaves. The Greek word that is employed here uh, in this New Testament passage is the word doulos. And the word doulos is translated many different ways, sometimes bondservant, sometimes servant, sometimes slaves. But doulos is a very specific word in the New Testament. So other times we'll see uh, doulos translated as servant. And sometimes when it's used simply as a servant, it kind of softens the translation. Sometimes it's translated as slave, but to our modern ears, when we hear that word slave, again, it troubles us. And that's why I think the ESV translators chose a good word here, bondservants. Paul's addressing bondservants. But nevertheless, I don't want to smooth it over too much. We are talking about slaves here. 
these people that Paul addresses in his letter, they, they were human beings owned by another human being. That's what we're talking about here. And even just the idea, though, of slavery, talking about it right now to our American ears, it makes us uncomfortable, especially here in the Deep South, where the Word conjures up a whole lot of terrible pictures and reminders about race-based African and Indian slave trade that mars our country's history and really mars our world history. But the slavery that Paul was describing is different than what would come to mind in our modern ears and our modern understanding. But again, I don't want to smooth it over too much. I do want to, to, to make no mistake about it. There was no doubt that there was cruel and harsh treatment of slaves in the ancient world. And that type of, of treatment was unfortunately accepted by many societies. And some owners, slave owners, would treat their slaves, their bond servants, as less than human. But there was, in fact, we know through historical record, another, perhaps more prevailing institution of slavery that Paul mentions here. And so we need to understand who these people were that Paul was addressing as bond servants in their historical context. And so a slave or a doulos was very common in the ancient world. It is estimated by some scholars that during the time of the Roman Empire to which Paul would have been writing, that it was estimated to be somewhere around 60 million slaves. It's a lot of people. Slaves during the days of the Roman Empire, they constituted a, a very large majority of the workforce that not only included domestic servants, but also manual laborers. But these slaves were often educated people. They were not just ignorant dumb, as you might say, people. Some of them were doctors. Some of them were teachers. Some of them were administrators who were given lots of authority. You may remember Joshua and, 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 the, uh, and Joseph, I'm saying, and the, and the authority that he was given. He was, in fact, a doulos. A doulos was, was not distinguishable from others by race or their speech or their clothing. They they looked and act just like everyone else. Again, they were often educated. They earned a wage. Many would actually sell themselves into slavery, into this servitude in order to improve their economic condition. One became a slave for all sorts of reasons. You might become a slave by birth or by conquest or again for economic reasons. And so a doulos a bondservant that Paul was addressing was not necessarily someone who was being harshly treated. Okay, so we need to keep that kind of in our minds. Very few people were slaves for their entire lives. Oftentimes they would be set free or they would earn their freedom. And so when we contrast a, a doulos with race-based slavery that might come into our minds, this is very different from what we might think. Paul is not condoning harsh, cruel, 
indentured servitude. Again, a doulos was rarely permanent. And we see several times in the New Testament where Paul is writing to and encouraging other bond servants and saying, hey, do whatever you can to earn your freedom. Try to get free from slavery. So these facts are good reasons why I like the word bondservant as opposed to servant or slavery. But many have dismissed the truth and the authenticity of the Bible because they believe that it condones slavery. This is not true. The Bible is true and authentic because it doesn't gloss over or try to sugarcoat history. It states matters as they are, not as the early Christians would have wanted them to be. The Bible does not condone the cruel institution of slavery, but a bondservant, as a servant worker, was an entirely different thing whom Paul was addressing. I should mention here, though, as we're talking about this, very clearly and very definitively, that slavery and human trafficking in all forms is despicable. It is ungodly. The slavery of southern history was, was wrong. And it's a black mark on our history. Even the church was wrong on many of these matters as it sought to defend slavery and slave ownership. And they were oftentimes treated as less than human or less than the cultural norm as they would even be put in their own section in churches. But we can't just stop at condemning history and believe that we can just move on because even today the treatment of women and children and the human trafficking slave trade that goes on right now around our world, it should be stopped at all costs. We as Christians, as a church, we should be involved in this. We should hate it. We should abhor it. We should pour our resources into making sure it is punished. So why would Paul, though, take the time to address these folks in the church? Why would he in a sense, support them. It's this reason. It's because they were a part of the local church. They were men and women, godly believers in Christ in the local church in Ephesus. We have to remember at this point, when Paul is writing, and this is part of his great missionary burden, that the gospel had come to all people. All people, rich and poor. Slave and free, Jew and Gentile. And those who were bondservants obviously had the freedom to worship and be a part of the local church. And often it seems, from historical context, that they would worship, that they would serve, that they would even be with their masters in the local church, worshiping and praising God. And so, so common was this group, so large was this group of people that Paul saw fit to address them, to give them biblical instruction on how to honor Christ in their, in their calling to serve the Lord and to serve their earthly masters. And so what are the duties 
of these bond servants? What are they to do? The, the modern implications of who we're talking about is hopefully obvious to you. Because Paul could have just as well been addressing Christian employees. Right? If these were the ones that were called to serve, the ones that were called to work, the ones that were called to honor the Lord and everything they do, the bond servants could have very well been Christian employees because that's who they were. They served and they were laborers. They had tasks and jobs that they were to fulfill, to earn a living, to provide for their families, and to help their master's affairs thrive. Think about us today. There are very few of us who have ever or will ever get to the point where we're not working under the authority of someone. All of us have a boss. Some of us have lots of bosses. You're all kind of my boss. So make sure you listen to the next section. <laughs> all of us are under the authority of someone or someone else. And so these words are for us. These instructions are for us. The biblical counsel here is for the church. For all of us who are called to work and to labor. So with that said, there are Christian duties for those who are called to serve and to work. And the first Paul mentions here is obedience. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. They're called to what we are called to obey. The call to diligently carry out our duties and the tasks that are assigned to us. Oftentimes, when we hear that word obedience, we immediately think of something as cruel and oppressive. That's some dated Bible idea. We shouldn't talk about that anymore. But it is this very concept of obedience that I think needs to be rediscovered in the, in the church today. Because this is the, the right word. This is the exact word, the exact thing that we need to do to honor the Lord in our call to work and to serve Him. So what does it mean here in this context? What was Paul addressing here? How does this apply to us? Well, I think it means that a Christian does not loaf in their work. No loafing around. A Christian is not lazy. A Christian work ethic should be a reflection of their love for the Lord and even a way, even in such a way that when they carry out their work, it should create opportunities to share the gospel because we're working to serve the Lord obediently, diligently, with great effort. One of my things I did over the holiday season to relax was cleaning out and organizing my old baseball cards. I went into the attic of my parents' house over the holidays and found a dusty old box that's probably full of who knows what funguses and bacteria. And I was motivated just for some relaxation. I was going to organize these things and go through my old baseball cards going back 30, even 40 years. And as I was cleaning out this box, it was just full of a lot of junk. My, the kids and I just had a great time laughing at some of the things I found in there. But one thing I found, and I didn't tell my family this, was this, was this folded up note. And I, it was like an official form that I could tell. And it was, uh, 
it was surely given to one of my brothers, not me. But it was a, it was a reprimand from one of his employers from way back when in high school when he was working. And I thought, hmm, maybe I should save this for some blackmail or something. But, <laughs> but he was reprimanded for, for being lazy and for being, being late. Um, again, I'm positive it wasn't for me, but <laughs> it could have been. Uh, when I read that, I looked at that, I laughed because how we've all grown. We, all my brothers and I have lots of children and we're called to, to work and to provide for them. But as I was thinking about this this week and thinking about the application of this passage, this, this should not be for a Christian. If you claim to be in Christ, if you claim to follow Him and, and obey Him and, and serve Him, then you do so diligently. A Christian does not work to please people or even himself, but to please the Lord, to honor Him. If we claim to belong to Christ, yet all we're doing is making sure we're working hard when someone's watching, then what we're doing here is, did you notice how Paul basically coined some modern day idioms that we use? You're just giving eye service. You're just giving lip service. You're just trying to please people when they're looking. But we know as Christians that the Lord is always watching. We're always to work heartily for Him, honoring Him. This is what it means to be a bondservant of the Lord. We're called to honor Him. Our, our work is for the Lord, not for man. Obedience and diligence and hard working, this is the Christian work ethic. This is what it means to serve Him. This instruction, though, is not just for those who have jobs. There's lots of children and teenagers here and even college students in this congregation. And you may not be earning an income, earning a living right now, but you do have a job. You do have work right now. Among other things, by honoring the Lord at home, by obeying and honoring your parents, most of you are in school. You have to study and listen to your teachers and do your assignments. <laughs> Every parent's nodding right now. <laughs> it's your job. And if you do that in a lazy way, if you do that in a way that is not the standard that your parents have set for you, then you're not honoring the Lord. You're not having this good Christian work ethic that God calls us to. We're all called to serve and honor the Lord in whatever our work is. And so in each of these four verses that the Apostle Paul addresses to bond servants, notice with me, look there in verses 5 through 8, that Jesus Christ or the Lord is mentioned in every one of these verses. So this gives us an important clue about our work. Our work is to and for the Lord. Look there in verse 5. Christian service is to be performed in obedience to Christ. Verse 6, we are called to serve literally as servants of Christ. Verse 7, 
We're called to render service as to the Lord rather than men. Verse, verse 8. We work knowing that our labor will result in good from the Lord. Our work is unto the Lord. John Stott says this. He says, the Christ-centeredness of this instruction is very striking because the slave's perspective has changed. His horizons have been broadened. He has been liberated from the slavery of men-pleasing into the freedom of serving Christ. His mundane tasks have been absorbed into a higher preoccupation, namely the will of God and the good pleasure of Christ. So if you claim to be a Christian and Christ is your Lord, and then whenever someone hires you or, or whatever your work is, you're to remember that first and foremost, you are serving the Lord. No matter what He's called you to, no matter what your calling is in life, all callings are to be in service of the Lord, to honor Him as our Master. And then your walk, your work ethic, it should be noticeable to others. When you tell that potential employer that you are a Christian and that Christ is the most important thing in your life and that He dictates your work ethic, then that should automatically mean that you are diligent, that you are faithful, that you are trustworthy, that you are faithful and hardworking because you want to honor Christ. So is that you? Is that you? But what about those of us who are called to be employers? What are the duties for those who are in authority over bond service? Paul, Paul, Paul addresses this in verse 9. The job of the boss, the job of the master, is to promote the welfare of his employees. The job of the master, of the, of the employer, is to help out the employees, to look after their interests as he would their own. Employers, bosses, masters are never given authority so that they can act superior toward others. Paul in no way encourages exercising lordship over others in a demeaning way. The biblical instructions to honor the Lord and to render good Christian service and a good Christian worth ethic is just as much for employers as it is employees. I mean, think about that. If you are a boss or if you work for a boss, your, your ethic, you want to match theirs. If they're hardworking and diligent, you, you want to do that for them. If you're in that position... Remember that you are in that position because everyone who is a boss who is a, and who is a Christian should remember that he too or she too has a master who is in heaven, Paul says. And that master, the Lord Jesus Christ, he holds authority over all. Masters and bondservants. Employers and employees. We are all accountable to one master. This does not mean that, that Christian employers will never have to exercise authority and discipline over their employees. 
But their Christian duty requires them not to be harsh or brutal. Paul says, stop your threatening. Rather, to use loving and biblical authority toward those that they lead. This is why Paul would say in Galatians 3 that in Christ there are no differences at all, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. We all have one master. So whether you're an employer or an employee, the directive is clear here. We must set Jesus Christ before us and honor Him in all that we do. Whether you're a mom, a father, a laborer, an engineer, a rocket scientist, a husband, everything you can think of, a student, we are to set Christ before us and honor Him in all that we do. I think the key to understanding most of this teaching is found in verse 6. Look there. Paul reminds these bondservants that they are, in fact, bondservants of Christ. Elsewhere, Paul identifies himself. He says, I am a slave of Christ. What does this mean? It means this. Being a bondservant of Christ, it is the description of those who belong to Christ. This is the way Paul described himself. This is how we, the church, should identify ourselves if we are in Christ. We are bondservants to Him. We are slaves to Him. He owns us. If, if you are a believer then Christ's Lordship should be so evident in your life that obedience to Him can be described in no other way than that of slavery. You are bound to Him. He owns you. You have total obedience and devotion to Him. He is your Master. He is your Lord. And Christ's Lordship over our lives, it, it should change us. And it does change us. The way we treat others, the way we perform our work. Christ is your all in all. He is your reason for living. He is your singular devotion. He's the focus of your worship, your work, your entire life. Everything you do is to glorify Him so that Jesus' words may ring true in your life where he says to let your light shine before others so that others would see your good deeds and they wouldn't praise you. They wouldn't give eye service to you, but they would praise their Father who is in heaven. Have you ever thought about that that could be one of the most effective tools for evangelism that God has given you? That in your work, you could please the Lord and others want to see that? Many of you have seen chariots of fire. And when the prefontaine was asked, why do you run? Why do you run so fast? Why are you doing what you do? And he said, because when I run, I feel God's pleasure. I glorify Him. That is what we're called to do. We're called to glorify God in everything that we do. We are to be slaves of Christ. This means absolute, total obedience to Him. 
And so, brothers and sisters, let this table before us this morning remind you, remind all of us that we belong to Jesus. He is our Master. He is our Master because He he bought us. He owns us because He gave His very life for us. And so may God help us to serve Christ and proudly state that we are a bondservant for Him. Let's pray. Oh Lord, help us to remember that, that we are not our own. We were bought at a great price. The death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is our Master now and our King. And so, help us to remember that in whatever we do, we are to render good service to Him as our Lord and not to man. Help us to honor the Lord Christ because He is worthy of our work, of our worship, of our whole hearts. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.